Welcome back to the 3rd and 15 podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Timmerman, and what a great weekend of college football. Uh, it really lived up to the hype. We, we had one, two, three, four, five, six, six ranked versus ranked matchups, and that doesn't include uh, Florida State Clemson. That doesn't include um, LSU Arkansas. That doesn't include Texas Baylor. Uh, also doesn't include UNC Pitt. And these are all good, important games. Um, so what a good weekend of football, though. So many close games, so many interesting games, so many compelling storylines. And because of that, I'm not going to do what I typically do. Uh, if you listen to this podcast, and I appreciate you for being a return listener, um, then you know this. If you're if you're a first time listener, appreciate you too. What I normally do is I just kind of run through all the scores. I, I break down all the games or as many as as really catch my eye. But there's just so much um, to talk about that in this portion of the the podcast of the episode, I'm just going to talk about. I'm going to. I've got five teams or players that impressed me on Saturday. I watched a lot of football. I did have some family over. Um, for uh, a couple of my kids, uh, my little girl had her birthday. Her birthday was on August 31st. My oldest son, his birthday is on October 20th. So we had some family over on Saturday to kind of celebrate them right in the middle there. Um, we did the same thing with our two middle kids back in the spring. Um, but fortunately my dad was part of that. My father-in-law was part of that. So we did have the football on as well. So we watched some uh, some games, including the the Mercer-Furman rivalry, is a big one in our house. I grew up going to Furman games because my dad is a Furman grad. Now, my university, Mercer, added uh, football in 2013 and, and pretty quickly joined the Southern Conference. So now that's a, that's a conference matchup. We're not going to talk about how that one went, nor are we going to talk about Florida State-Clemson. Um, well, I'll quickly touch on it. Uh, I was actually impressed with the way Clemson played. A lot of Clemson fans are... Uh, we let another one slip away. Truthfully, two weeks ago, I thought Clemson was going to lose that by 30 or 40 points. And and they took it to overtime and l- some encouraging signs on the, on the offensive and really on the defensive side of the ball. Um, a lot to build on there. Um, I think a lot of, a lot of fans are, are experiencing some, some, I don't know what the right word is, but it's, it's a type of shock. There was a stretch in the fourth quarter where Clemson was up 24 to 17, appeared to be driving for another score. And and I admit I had already started thinking, oh man, if they can beat Florida State, they can win out and get in the ACC championship game. Maybe the playoff hopes aren't dead. Maybe this season isn't lost. And so to go from that to oh, you know, two and two, oh and two in the conference, and now left to hope. For, <laughs> it looks like not even a New Year's Six bowl. So that that I think it was the shock. The the sh- the whiplash, if you will, of going from driving to almost put the game away to losing the game, and and the dramatic turn that that took. But all in all, I was I I am more hopeful about Clemson than I've been in in quite some time, which is odd to say after a loss. But anyway, let's get into the five things that stood out to me about Saturday's action. Number one, Oregon. I'm going to start here um, just because it was the earliest game in the day. Uh, Oregon beat Colorado 42-6. to And 
You've seen the videos. Colorado was doing what they've been conditioned to do. This season has become about their swagger. And I don't want to really criticize them for some of the trash talk. If you've seen the videos, they said some some pretty pointed things about Oregon, about their field. Uh, but that's their brand. That's that's the that's how they were able to come out and beat TCU at TCU. That's how they've been able to win despite not having the talent of a lot of other contenders and look as impressive as they have is because they play with an incredible amount of swagger and confidence. That comes with, you know, some some comments were made that look bad when you get come out and get boat raced 42 to 6. But you you can't have the good swagger without it looking bad when they lose. So I, I don't want to be too critical of them, but eh, some, some of it was a bad look, especially once you saw what happened. Uh, Shiloh Sanders in particular had some comments during the pregame warm-ups that uh, when you give up 42 points, it, it looks bad that, that you talk some of the some of the trash that you talk. But it's a learning experience. These guys are learning, and some of these guys that are on Colorado now, if Dion stays – I think they will be part of a playoff contender, especially as the playoff expand to 12 in the coming years. They will be part of a playoff contender at Colorado. And every program that takes that step into that level of football has to learn what the uh, Colorado players learned on Saturday, which is uh, there's some good teams out there. There are some other teams that are more talented than you. They know they're more talented than you. And they're just here to handle business. That's kind of what Oregon did. Jumped out to a 42 to nothing lead through three quarters before Colorado did add a Shador Sanders six-yard pass to Michael Harrison in the fourth to make it 42 to six. But even on that, Oregon blocks the extra point. Um, Bo Nix, I said before the season, this was a good chance for Bo Nix to really put a, put his name in the hat for the Heisman. Some shine got taken off of that with Travis Hunter not being on the field. Do I think Travis Hunter makes a 36-point difference? Absolutely not. But the thing about Travis Hunter that is different than all these other Colorado stars is Shador Sanders was a Florida Atlantic commit before he went to um, Jackson State with his dad. Okay, that's still a step down. Shador Sanders is still an FBS player playing at the FCS level when he was at Jackson State. Travis Hunter could have gone wherever he wanted. On every field that they step on this year, if Travis Hunter is playing in the game, there's a good chance he's the most talented dude on the field. So, yeah, some some, some shine got taken off of that Oregon offense versus Colorado defense matchup for sure to see what Travis Hunter could do against Bo Nix. But that's still a pretty talented Colorado secondary. And, and Bo Nix went out there, went 28 of 33 for 276 yards, three touchdowns, did throw a pick, also ran the ball five times for nine yards and a touchdown. Bucky Irving led the Ducks in, in rushing, 10 carries, 89 yards. Jordan James got in the end zone, seven carries, 54 yards. Noah Whittington, eight carries, 45 yards and a touchdown. You got multiple, you got three different Ducks running for touchdowns. You got three different Ducks with seven or more carries. Uh, and that doesn't include the quarterback. So that doesn't include sacks. That doesn't include uh, scrambles that weren't really running plays. Um, very balanced rushing attack. Similar in the passing game. Uh, one, two, three, four, five. Five different ducks caught at least four passes. And that doesn't include Casey Kelly, who had one of the touchdowns. Troy Franklin, eight catches, 126 yards, two touchdowns. Phenomenal game. Made some great plays. Um, so Oregon comes out. 
They sack Shador seven times. Um, this, to me, can be a good thing for Colorado, okay? Shador Sanders is, and, and I don't think Dion's wrong. Dion has come out and said that Shador ain't, ain't here to play second fiddle to Caleb Williams. He's probably going to stay, the, the, at least the, the rumor is now, that, that Shador is not going to go pro after this year. He's going to stay in college because he doesn't want to play second fiddle to Caleb Williams. Which sounds ridiculous because that would mean that, that Dion thinks he's going to go ahead of Drake May and some of these other guys. Um, but whether it's second fiddle, third fiddle, whatever, next year's quarterback class is a lot thinner. Uh, Caleb Klubnick and Drew Aller are really the only major prospects that could be coming out in the 2025 draft. And I think Shador has a chance with the rest of this season, if they can figure out the offensive line before next season, he has a better offensive line. Um, I do think he could be the best quarterback in the 25 class. I think that's that's a possibility for him. Um, but games like this are the reality check of what it's like when you're actually playing contenders. TCU's not a contender. Nebraska definitely isn't a contender. Colorado State isn't even on the level where they can be a contender. Um this is, this is what it's like when you play the big boys. Shador, 23 of 33, 159 yards and a touchdown. 10 carries, negative 34 yards. Got his lunch eaten because the offensive line got their lunch eaten. So this was a reality check of this is what it's like when you play the actual contenders and you're not one of them. Um, and Colorado, was oh, that was always the case. This is how this game was always going to go. It's just, this is the downside. When you draw attention to yourself... When you draw attention to your wins and you want everybody to give you credit when you win and you want to point your finger at reporters that doubted you, okay, this is what happens when, when you create that environment. When you draw attention to your successes, they're still there for your failures. Now, I've seen some gross headlines about Colorado. I saw one from Sports Illustrated uh, connecting should uh, Shiloh Sanders' pregame trash talk to his... Uh, apparently he got hospitalized at some point this week. He was coughing up blood. At least that's what he said or what his brother said. I, I, I didn't get the details. And, and SI, in the headline and in the story, connected those two things, that he was talking trash and now he's in the hospital. But there's no indication that there was any sort of injury or that it had anything to do with his trash talk. That's gross, okay? Um, that's We need to, hopefully, this loss... We'll, we'll take some eyeballs off of Colorado for a little bit because they're this week, I believe, they have Southern Cal. Um, yeah, they have Southern Cal on Saturday. Back-to-back, uh, -back, what will probably be big losses because, my opinion, Southern Cal is even better than Oregon. Back-to-back, um, -back big losses. We'll take some eyeballs off of Colorado and kind of calm some of this just kind of gross talk that, that I don't like. So that's my first thing. Oregon impressed the, the heck out of me. They came out, they handled business, and they established that, yeah, we're a, we're a playoff contender. Colorado isn't, we are. So very impressive. Second thing, Utah. This is another one of those big um, ranked versus ranked. Utah's number 11, UCLA is number 22, or at least that was their rankings last week. Let's see uh, what Utah is up to now. They're up to 10 now. Um, on the surface, right, you look at this, this matchup, and you say uh, Utah only winning fourteen to seven. Utah is finding a way to win without Cam Rising. I talked last week. Everything I was seeing was that Cam Rising was coming back, and how big of a deal that was for Utah. He didn't come back. 
and they still found a way to win 14 to 7 over a good UCLA team. Um, they got Nate Johnson, 9 of 17 for 117 yards and a touchdown, ran 14 times for two yards. Um, their other score, let's see, their other score was a interception return by Kareen Reed. Utah's becoming a little bit of a, of a, uh, that, that's where good defensive backs go to play. They've, they've got a few options out there, uh, but they found a way to win. Um, you know, if you continue beating low ranked, they're ranked, they were 22nd, but it's, it's, these are not top 10 teams. You continue to beat them close. Um, that's, that's not going to impress anybody, but these are the kind of games that you have to win if you're Utah and you think we want to compete. We think that a one loss, and this is my opinion, a one loss or undefeated Pac-12 champion this year deserves some consideration for the playoffs. There have been years where that's a conference you have to be undefeated. I think a one loss Pac-12 champion needs to be considered for the playoffs. Um, Utah wants to be in that position. It's going to be hard for them to be in that position if they lose a game to UCLA. Alabama, Georgia, teams like that, if um, Georgia was playing without um, a key player like a um, Carson Beck, you know, if they were playing without Carson Beck and the quarterback play suffered, if if Ohio State was playing without Kyle McCord, if, UC, if USC was playing without Caleb Williams and they lost, um... They would get consideration on that, but I don't know that Utah is going to get that, frankly. So good on them for coming out and winning without Cam Rising, who I thought was going to be the reason that they won. Ole Miss, Alabama. I I thought Ole Miss was the better team. I talked so much trash on here and online. I talked about, why would Alabama be a seven-point favorite? Ole Miss is the better team, but what I forgot is that routinely under Lane Kiffin, Ole Miss cannot hack it against Alabama. They do not play against Alabama the way they play against everybody else. Been multiple times since he's been there that I thought Ole Miss had the team to beat them. And it's not just that they don't beat them. It's that they just don't show up. Um, Worst game of the year for Jackson Dart. 20 of 35, 244 yards with a pick. Uh, Only ran ran the ball 12 times, got six yards. Did score a touchdown, but everything about the Ole Miss offense looked difficult, and it wasn't even particularly. Uh, they tried to do some things that you're not going to do against Alabama. Um, you got to run to the edges, but you can't run horizontal. They got they've always got too much speed on on offense for that. You got to hit those quick, turn that corner, get downfield. You know, you, you, it's it's weird against Alabama. You don't just want to run it up the middle because they're usually pretty good there. But you also don't want to try this, you know, the the jet sweeps, the things like that that go super horizontal. That's hard to make work against Alabama. Um, But what impressed me about this game, Jalen Milrow, okay? Jalen Milrow, I joked on Twitter, there was a moment, and it was in the the third quarter, I think, when uh, I joked that Jalen, and that's when when Jalen Milrow became president, or or, uh, became governor of Alabama. And it was, they were up nine to seven. And while a defender was hitting him in the chest, he hit Jalen Hale for a 33-yard touchdown pass to go up 17-7. to um, And that wasn't when it was over, of course. It was third quarter. Uh, in fact, pretty early. And it was about midway through the third quarter. It was 6.29 to go. Plenty of time left for it just to be 17-7. to But that was the point when I feel like maybe the rest of Alabama's team looked and said, yeah, we can win with this guy as our quarterback. 
This guy has the skill set. He was 17-21, very efficient, 225 yards. That touchdown did throw a pick. Was not a good pick. It was an ugly pick in the end zone. Ran the ball 16 times for 28 yards. He's tough. He was just tough. Got sacked four times and, and just continued to, to work. Um, they did get 17 carries, 105 yards, and a touchdown from Jace McClellan. Particularly in the second half, he was really strong. But, man, was I impressed with Jalen Milrow. Just his toughness um, to step in. We talked last week about how negative of an environment, how negative of an experience this has been for him and how I, I didn't think that quarterback situation was handled well. Jalen Milrow would have had every right, not that he if he decided to play this way, but if he came out flat and unconfident and just got beat up for 60 minutes and they lost 14 to 3, I wouldn't have blamed Jalen Milrow for that. But instead he came out there, played gutsy, played probably his best game, and they've got a huge win against Ole Miss. What does the future hold for Alabama? I don't know. We've talked about they've got five more tough games uh coming up, but I was super impressed with Jalen Milrow on Saturday. Next thing that, that stood out to me um, was Texas over Baylor. All right? You're probably thinking, Baylor is not good. And they're not. They're 1-3. Uh, they have losses already to Texas State and Utah. Their lone win is that Long Island that they beat. Uh, yeah, I think it is. Um so Texas, Baylor's not good. So you're probably thinking, why does this matter? But as other people have pointed out, Texas fans even, this is the game that Texas normally loses. They come out and they beat Oklahoma. Or in this case, they beat Alabama. They come out and beat a good team. They come out and beat, or, or they come play close with Alabama and they've got you know the whole season ahead of them. They just lay eggs against these bad teams. And it kind of looked that's what they were going to do. It was 7-3 to three Texas after the first quarter. And then Texas scored won the second quarter 21 to 3 and just put that baby to bed. Um phenomenal game for for Texas. I don't know that anybody stood out as having a, you know, Quinn Ewers, this could have been a good chance for him to to really ice himself as a or or solidify himself as a Heisman candidate. I don't know that he did that. Uh, 18 uh, of 23, 293 yards and a touchdown. Ran the ball 5 times for 16 yards and another touchdown. Just solid. Solid play. Jonathan Brooks, 18 carries, 106 yards, and two touchdowns. Good night for him. C.J. Baxter also chipped in a touchdown. I'm telling you folks, look out for Jatavian Sanders. He had five catches for 110 yards. Love this dude. He's that athletic tight end I keep talking about. Keep an eye out on him. He He's a lot of fun to watch. But Texas, coming out and not falling into a trap. That would have been an easy game for them to get trapped in, and they didn't do it. They didn't get trapped. Final thing that impressed me, uh, we've got to give kudos to the Ohio State defense. All right? The Notre Dame offense coming into Saturday night, they were 4-0. They had scored 42, 56, 45, and 41. Competition not great. Navy, Tennessee State, NC State's pretty good. Or they're okay. At least they, they're a, an, a, an FBS team that will probably go to a bowl game. Um, Central Michigan. So nothing to write home about, but the, that offense was was producing. And they've got a very experienced quarterback that has put up a lot of yards in his college football career against some good teams. And they limited Notre Dame to 14 points. Uh, limited them to 350 total yards, which 
is pretty good. Only 175 through the air. If you're playing against Sam Hartman and you only give up 175 passing yards, that's a win. 176 rushing yards is less of a win, but uh, you, you kept him mostly out of the end zone, 17 to 14. Won a defensive struggle at Notre Dame. The, Notre Dame, the Ohio State offense has some work to do, but that's an offensive staff that knows how to get more, and they've got the talent. Kyle McCord didn't have a bad game, 21-37, 240 yards. Travion Henderson had some huge runs, 14 carries, 104 yards, one touchdown. Um, spread the ball around. Amika Egbuka and Cade Stover each had seven catches. Uh, Egbuka has 96 yards. He also ran the ball twice for nine yards. Cade Stover, seven catches, 52 yards. Um... Chip Tram had a huge touchdown. I believe he had the the game winner. Um, and, and let's talk about that game-winning touchdown right now. Notre Dame's up 14-10. There's three seconds left on the clock by the time that last play. Notre Dame had 10 players on the field missing a defensive lineman in a, what was it, second one, third and one? What was the, what was the final play? In, in third and goal from the one, they were missing a defensive lineman. They didn't call timeout. They didn't, or maybe they didn't have timeouts. They did not run that 11th man on the field. And when asked why, Marcus Washington said, Marcus Washington, that's not his name. Marcus Freeman um, said, we didn't want to get a penalty. You're on the one-yard line. The ball moves like a foot. And you're missing a defensive lineman on a play where you got to stop him from getting a yard, you're missing the biggest key component to that. And you just, well, we didn't, we didn't win a penalty. The ball moves half a yard. I was already tweeting as that happened, and I didn't even notice. Um, and I don't even know if I, if I ever sent, sent the tweet. Because at the time, because Ohio State didn't have any timeouts, they were trying to conserve plays, they weren't running the ball. They were throwing. Or they threw on first down incomplete, threw on second down incomplete. I was in the process of saying, if I was coaching defensive backs in that situation, I would tell them, just hit him. If you think there is any chance your receiver is going to catch the ball, knock him down. Because that penalty is one yard, and eventually it's going to be all zeros. And they're going to keep running. It's first and goal again. First and goal again. Every time you commit a penalty. But eventually they're, they're going to throw a pass that's just not complete. And you're going to get... I would not let them in the end zone under any circumstances. I'm going to take a penalty because uh, eventually they can't move the ball forward anymore. Eventually, they yeah, the uh, the half life gets so small that they can't move the ball anymore without putting it in the end zone. And so I I would be even more nefarious. I just could keep committing penalties. Tell them do not let them score. Hit them if you have to. But definitely run another player out there. I just coaching mismanagement. It never ceases to amaze me. These guys, they get paid so much money. And they are legitimately intelligent dudes when it comes to football. They know more about football. They've forgotten more about football than I know. And then little things like that that just, do you want to move the ball? Uh, which is worse, coach? Moving the ball a foot or giving them the game-winning score with a second left? Like that, that That's your choice. And you choose, well, let's don't risk the penalty. Let's see if we can stop them with, you know, not enough men in the box. I don't know. But kudos to the Ohio State defense. That has been something that's been lacking in Ohio State is defense. 
a lot of the games they've lost, if they could have gotten like two more stops, they win a national title last year because their offense was so daggum good against a good Georgia defense. But they couldn't stop anybody. Um, so kudos to that Ohio State defense. If they can continue to get things figured out on offense, that's not somebody that I had in the playoff picture because I had them losing this game. And they won it. They gutted it out. They played tough. Now, Ryan Day talking trash to 86-year-old Lou Holtz. What did you expect Lou Holtz to say, coach? He's a Notre Dame homer, and he's 86 years old. Of course he takes Ohio State, or takes Notre Dame, and has uh, some criticisms for, you know, wants to talk some trash to Ohio State. Of course. Well, I just He just seems like such a fake tough guy. So it's hard for me to compliment Ohio State. Because Ryan Day feels like such a fake tough guy. Just so, everything about him just feels phony, including his hair color. Um, but kudos to that Ohio State defense anyway. Um, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, let's talk about this week coming up. We are back. The schedule this week, not quite as great as last week, but we are into conference play. Pretty much everybody in the top 25 that's playing is playing a conference opponent except for um, Notre Dame, or except for Duke. They're playing Notre Dame. So, big time stuff there. But this week starts on Friday night, September 29th. Um, Utah playing at Oregon State. Another Pac-12 ranked versus ranked game. Oregon State is down to 3-1. They're 0-1 in the conference because they lost to Washington State. Look out for Washington State. We'll probably talk about them in a little bit. But let's see if – I'm not going to make any claims about Cam Rising, but let's see if he comes back. I had been itching for one of these good weeknight games, and we get one. And that's at a good time, too. It's at 9 o'clock on a Friday night. So it's good. If you've got kids, it's a good chance to get them in bed. You don't have to – really hoard the TV on a Friday night, especially if you're like me. My wife, she goes to bed a good bit earlier than me, so this is a game you can catch a lot of it after the kids go to bed without having to stay up until 2 in the morning. Um, so 9 o'clock, good start time for a Friday night. And even if you're uh, if you're somebody who goes to high school games on the East Coast, uh, that game will be over, 7.30 game, be over by 10, 10.30. About halftime, you can come home and watch uh, some Utah, Oregon State. So that, that'll be a good one. Uh, Saturday, USC does play Colorado. That's coming on Fox. That's big noon kickoff. Uh, USC is at Colorado. I didn't talk about the USC game. Uh, Caleb Williams looks like a superhero. Uh, he continues his just torrid pace. They, they gave up 28 points to um, drawing a blank. Arizona State. That's not what you're looking for. But I still think... Southern Cal is a team to beat out there, and I think they're going to put a whooping on Colorado that'll be similar to what we saw from Oregon. Florida's playing Kentucky. Florida's just trying to stay on a roll. They've been good so far this year other than, you know, they're 3-1. and one. I, I wrote them off. Everybody did. That win over Tennessee's got them some juice. Let's see if they can continue it against a, an undefeated Kentucky team. Kentucky's at home. They'll be looking to, you know, they're not ranked. Florida's 3-1. and one. They're ranked 22nd. Kentucky's not ranked. They're going to be looking to prove something this week. That could be a good game on ESPN at noon. 3.30 on CBS, UGA at Auburn. Uh, Couldn't figure out what was wrong with UGA fans last week. Carson Beck was almost perfect uh, in terms of statistics. They beat the brakes off of UAB. But my whole timeline on every social media was talking about that game like Carson Beck was 
0 for 10 with 11 interceptions. Um, so I'm not quite sure. It's just, you know, good team complaining about good team problems, I guess. But UGA is playing at Auburn. This is a rivalry for them. Uh, UGA is a 14.5-point favorite. I think they'll win by at least that. I think it's, that's a, a big spread. Um, same thing with USC. USC is a 21.5-point favorite over Colorado. I'm a little bit hesitant on that one just because the USC defense is a little bit suspect sometimes. They're on the road. Colorado might come out playing angry. Um, I could see this being a 42 to 24 game that USC controls the whole time. But if you can do math, you know, that's not 21 and a half points. Uh, Michigan's playing Nebraska. Michigan will 17 is the line. I expect them to cover by way more than that. Kansas, Texas, sneaky good game on three thirty three thirty on ABC. Kansas got a big win last week. Um, I didn't talk about that. I probably should have. They beat BYU 38-27. to uh, They also have wins over Illinois and Nevada. That's sneaky good little Kansas team. I think this is where it ends. I think this is where Texas uh, at home, 3.30 on ABC, uh, ends the dream for Kansas. But who knows? Uh, this is another one of those kind of trap games for Texas. I actually think it's it's it works in Texas's favor that Kansas didn't lose to BYU last week. Because I think – Kansas and BYU were similar enough teams that you play that game, ten, that game ten times. They probably each win five. So the same quality of Kansas team could have just as easily lost to BYU if a couple of plays go differently last week. Um, and so I think it's better for Texas that Kansas won that. And this is a ranked versus ranked matchup. This is 4-0. There's, there's talk out there. I'm sure in that part of the country there's lots of talk. We'll hear experts say that Kansas is going to take down Texas, and we might not have heard that if Kansas beats BYU or if Kansas loses to BYU. So I, th- I think that's a that's good thing for Texas. They just got to keep rolling. They're they're doing what they need to do. Missouri-Vanderbilt, uh, that's at 4 o'clock on the SEC Network. You don't need to pay attention to that one. LSU-Ole Miss. LSU got the win last week over uh, Arkansas. Ole Miss did not. They lost to Alabama. We talked about that. This is kind of a, a battle for – Ole Miss can beat LSU and stay in the hunt for the for the conference for the SEC West title, a chance at the SEC championship. Uh, LSU is is looking to just stay undefeated in conference play. They're looking to keep playoff hopes alive. They're looking to keep winning and and because losing to Florida State in Week One, even kind of getting dominated, doesn't rule them out. Losing a second game to Ole Miss does. They've looked really good lately. Oregon, Stanford, Oregon's going to roll in that one. Oklahoma, Iowa State, Oklahoma's going to roll in that one. 7.30 on ABC, Notre Dame at Duke. This is um, game day is at uh, is in Durham this week at, at Wallace Wade Stadium. This has to be one of the first times that's happened. Um, two good offenses, two talented defenses, two well-coached teams. This should be a really good game. Notre Dame is a six-point favorite. I think Notre Dame wins it, but who knows? Sometimes you see with these college teams when they have that kind of emotional, uh, they were one tackle away from beating Ohio State for the first time in 8,000 years, I think it is. Um, and they could be you know, they could be a top five team right now if they pull that off. Uh, sometimes you have that kind of loss, and then you go on the road, and it's another big, tough game, and you just mentally can't handle it, and you end up losing. Uh, so we'll see. I, I, I think Notre Dame wins that one, but that, that's an interesting game. Also at 730 is South Carolina at Tennessee. Tennessee ought to win that one, but lots of questions about them, obviously. Alabama, Mississippi State, Alabama should win that one easily. Washington, Arizona, and then Nevada and newly ranked Fresno. 
wrap up the evening. I will not be up watching Fresno, Nevada at 10.30 because Nevada's 0-4. Fresno is 4-0. Uh, they should win it. Uh, their offense has looked pretty good. Defense is a little suspect. They gave up 31 points to Eastern Washington. But we'll see. So not quite as good of a, of a lineup on paper as last week. But again, all of these games have conference implications. Every game in the Pac-12 has conference implications because half the conference is ranked and um, they have a, a round-robin sort of format in that there's no divisions. Like A lot of the conferences now are no divisions. So uh, that Utah-Oregon State game is important. Uh, Big 12 is, or the Big 10, they're getting into conference play, and, and that's a tightly packed conference. A lot of these conferences are tightly packed. Um Big Ten is still in divisions, so even though we're not super high on some of these teams, I, you know, Penn State has to beat Northwestern, even though it looks obvious. You know, one or two losses, one loss sometimes. That's not even you know. A lot of times these divisions are decided by yeah, well, Penn State beat Ohio State, but they lost to Michigan and they lost to Northwestern, and that's why they didn't win the conference. Um, now. Penn State's a 27-point favorite. They're going to win that one. But we're getting into the nitty-gritty. We're getting into all of the conference games. And somebody's season on Saturday, one of these higher-ranked teams that's got big aspirations is going to lose on Saturday. I don't know which one it is. But it just it would be it would be weird if they didn't. Um, maybe it's Florida against Kentucky. You know, Florida's thinking, hey. We got that one loss, but that's Utah. We can still win the SEC East. We can beat Georgia. Georgia's look susceptible. And then they lose to Kentucky. And the flip side is also true. Kentucky may probably thinks this is our year. Georgia's not the juggernaut that they were in 21 or, or 22. We can take them down this year. And then they lose at home to Florida, and all of that goes to the wayside. So pretty excited to, to see some of these games. Um Hope everybody has a good weekend. Hope everybody enjoys the football. Hope everybody finds some games to dig into. Uh, if you can, get out to a high school game on Friday. That's always fun. And uh, we'll do this again next week.